0: I'm Dr. Jake Owens, Director of Conservation for the LA Zoo, and you're listening to Biodiversity. For this week's bonus episode, I talked with Warren Dixon, hip-hop artist, co-owner of Third Rock Hip-Hop, and a longtime resident of Watts, California. Warren creates environmentally-themed hip-hop songs for Third Rock alongside Archie Hill and Rhonda Phillips that speak to marginalized communities on topics like climate change, recycling, and of special importance for this week's episode on Mountain lines. P22. I was so excited to talk with you just because I think that, like, part of it is you. It's so unique, right? This is such a unique thing where uh, I, I remember, you know, seeing some really, really lame, really, you know, environmental raps by, you know, these like old white people, you know, back on YouTube back in the day. And you're like, that's, it's too corny. It's not gonna, this is not gonna have any traction, you know?
1: I remember the recycle, reduce, reuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was like, oh, dang, boy, that was a good song right there. I don't know. So wh- one of the things, you, you wrote something
0: on the website for the Hip Hop Hermosa Beach performance that it was a very non-rap audience. And this is something that I was thinking about just in general because I'm a big proponent of rap and hip hop. And it's funny because my mom was an English teacher and she taught in um underprivileged school. There was my majority, uh, minority And so she would use a lot of rap lyrics to talk about English and and writing and and use it in her lessons. And we talk about that a lot. And I remember, I don't know, I was probably in middle school and she gave me, uh, you know, Tupac had his book of poetry. we talk about that. And so it's almost, it's interesting because like you're trying to bring kind of green lyrics and, and, you know, green messages to a community, one community in your neighborhood but then you're also bringing rap to a different community who's interested in the environmental side of it. Do you do you find that that's true? I mean, do you do you, is that really like a mix that you get in your your performances and your music?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We um We actually, I wish it could be a, a new genre, to be honest. I'm like, this should be a genre that's just like green hip hop that should be able to get nominated for a Grammy or something. It's not just about like yours have to be green, right? Yours can be something else, but you just see someone that's like you is using that art form to spread awareness about something for his people. You can do that same thing. So you're still doing, you're doing music
0: that's not specifically related
1: to third rock as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's... That's kind of what helps, to be honest, because, you know, the people that um, know us from that life and that type of music, the fact that we're still keeping them both up, it makes it where, you know, they just look at it like another topic we're talking about, you know, or they look at it like, oh, it's cool that someone that understands this cares about that as well. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like what made us unique was the fact that we were able to understand this side of life. And still talk about.
0: Them. Yes, not somebody from outside the community.
1: If we would have went the other way and just been just strictly green music, then it probably would have just seemed like, oh, they, they sold out or they don't really know what what we're going through now. It's one of the reasons why we do Wildlife to Watch every year, because <laughs> we, we understood that some of them won't really get an opportunity to interact with wildlife. So... First step is to meet them where they are. Let's bring wildlife to them so they can at least see what it's like to touch one and to see it move because I still do this all the time. We all want peace of mind, and I tell them all the time, like, man, I got to come out here and go hiking with me. Man, it does this for, for me mentally. And I know that's what they want, but th- but nobody's ever taken them out there. So you started hiking. Was that before you, you got into music or was it after? Listen, man, hiking, I blame Beth Pratt for this. <laughs> so, I mean, I was, doing, um, I was doing production for P-22 Day, right? Or really for Urban Wildlife Week, um, the first time I met Beth. And they needed a driver. So I'm like, you know what, I, I'll do it. I really don't drive professionally, but I would do this. I would take this chance. And I definitely was overthinking it because I showed up in like a full tuxedo, right? <laughs> I just met this lady and she's recording me on live like, he got a full tuxedo on. I'm like, okay, so I'm going to have to deal with this. She was like, um, you know, you can loosen up. During my time driving her around, I'm seeing her, you know, hike the footsteps of P-22. And this is when I'm really seeing it. I mean, I seen light hikes before that, you know, like going to like Griffith Park and you go up to the top, you know. But I wasn't really into it yet. I think she was filming a documentary during one of the parts of the hike. And this was like the highest I've ever been up. But I had to help Aaliyah Jasmine, who was filming it. I had to like hold her shirt and walk backwards on this like cliff to make sure, you know, she can just record while walking backwards. And that was like the scariest thing to me. But I'm like, I got to get it done. You know, so when I got through with that one, that's when I was like, yo, I think I like this.
0: What was the craziest experience or like most memorable wildlife experience
1: you've had when you've been out? So me and my business partner were hiking and we were, we were trying to hike to this waterfall and we ended up going the wrong way. So there was like two hikes, one to the left, one to the right. We didn't know which way was the waterfall. So we went left and he was like, "Yo, this hike is harder than, you know, we thought. And I had to turn straight into like warrior mode. We get to the end, no waterfall. So now we like, okay, let's walk back. On the way back, the warrior was gone. You know, it was like we was noticing every buzz coming from the plants, snakes <laughs> passing by and everything. You know, we like, just keep moving. Just keep moving. We don't know too much about the plants, which ones are poisonous. So we like, look, let's play it safe. Everything's poisonous. Just keep moving. Don't let nothing touch you, right? And we always make this joke because we said this. We was like, yo, we was white on the way in. Well, we was black on the way out, that's for sure, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. All those experiences, though, it just make me want to just explore more. It makes me want to, like, give these experiences to more people. We, we talk with Beth a
0: lot. I think she's, she's awesome. She's doing a lot of good work. And it started, so you met her, you know, and drove for her. And then did it, what was the progression of that to, to like, all the other stuff that you've been doing with her since? The
1: involvement actually started when I I drove her to one party into Pinker Canyon. And the other fundraiser events, I didn't really go inside. I mean, she was just like, yo, you're my friend. Like, come inside. Come actually see what's going on. So when I went inside this one specific fundraiser, it was at a lady house up there. And um, the architect that's working on the crossing. He tapped my shoulder. He's like, hey, you know why this lady is doing this phone um, raiser? And he was like, because a mountain lion ate her pet goat. <laughs> and I was just like, why would she want to do that? Like, I mean, I probably didn't say it that nice. I was probably like, why the hell is she want to do that? And one of the ladies that was in the crowd was um, asking a question. And she was like, if a mountain lion is attacking our pet, what can we do to protect the mountain lion? And I was like, yo, this... I was like, man, you white people are crazy. But then I told them, like, black people just want you to love them like you love my mind. When I said that, you know, it's, but you know, that was a moment where we both felt something new. And I feel like that's a, as an artist, I feel like that's your first job. Your first job is to be brave. It was like, here we go. We have to bridge this, this, this gap. I'm willing to put my hand in and say, teamwork. What if, we're able, what if we are willing to do that? Will y'all be willing to do that with us? It's a a question of how do you bridge that gap? And so I think that what you just
0: said, I mean, not only having Beth there, but you having the courage to actually work with her and do something new uh, and bring it in those communities is, uh, you know, super important. Like you said, it has to come from within, but it's got to take that bravery of the people to actually do it.
1: Exposure is what shapes us. The reason when you think about, like, yo, there's a low number in black biologists coming out of these communities and things like that. It's because, guess what? I don't think I ever seen one growing up. I heard you can be one, but I don't even know what that look like. What does the life of a biologist look like? What type of car does, it, does a biologist drive? We don't know, but I know that this rapper that was over here, he's driving a nice car, and I see him all the time. If you ever heard me talk about, like, yo... Me and my team helping them to bring awareness about building this crossing they're doing for the wildlife in Santa Monica Mountains. Like, we're hoping that them seeing people like us care about it. will make both sides look at it in a way where, you know what, maybe we can build a crossing per se for these communities. Like, they need resources, opportunities. They need more exposure so their mind can cross these bridges, you know, of, of understanding. How do you get from this
0: idea of It's like, oh, this is just, this is a white person thing? And our director, Denise Ferret, you know, she's the first African-American director of a major zoo in the U.S. She wasn't a wildlife person. She was a city person. And now she's, you know, here she is leading this massive zoo and the conservation efforts. And she's like, you know, the motivation for this new giant conservation plan that we have. And, um, you know, she always says it. You know, people in, in these communities, they've have other bigger things that they're dealing with on a daily basis like you said
1: you said you listen to hip-hop so you know metaphors are a big thing in hip-hop so i think every day in metaphor you know one of the things i noticed when i thought about p22 i noticed i was like dude this is kind of like forced displacement in black communities how they build role systems and like to break up these communities or to make it where um white people don't have to go to these communities and they can go around them and And forced displacement and systematic oppression, I was like, yo, this is something that is affecting both human life and wildlife. I'm also talking to, you know, Beth and them about it as well, the same way. So the more I was talking to them about this, the more they were starting to see, like... That's what systematic oppression is. All we're asking for is a little bit of empathy here. Then that's, to me, that's how you get real change instead of like being in this loop where 10 years later, we're going to be talking about, oh, how do we get more black people in the green? Sustainability. And how do we get more black people in these jobs that are dealing with conservation? It's like, I don't want to be on the panel 10 years from now talking about that. We got to do something about this now, and, and if we keep doing it the same way, we're not going to be able to fix it. So it was like, look, let's do something, once again, just to create empathy. Majority of the people in the, in the hood feel like um, white people don't care about them as much as they care about animals, right? Like in my verse, like in my verse, I say, um, do you look at a bird's feathers to decide if it deserves better? Is my skin color what you use to measure me? If I was a bird, I would fly just to find peace. Sometimes I watch them just to find me. Rows and intersections cut off animals in different directions. That's the same as systematic oppression. Is a raccoon really a thief or is that how we look at it? Are they really trying to survive? Because they don't have it how they had it. I know I've been judged. Due to misunderstanding, but all we got is love. We all got to live on this planet. We don't appreciate a caterpillar until it turns into a butterfly and show its colors. As your reminder not to judge a book by a cover. about the current circumstances of someone? If I was a bee, I'd be buzzing. And if I was a plant... I would hope that I could be a role so I can give you all a dozen. Most of the bugs and the insects I see around me travel with their relatives like we do with our families. Coyotes howling, but they remind me of us crying because we want you to love us like you love mountain lions. We feel for the lions, we want your alliance and some empathy because one day we may need your guidance. We may need your voice. We don't need your silence. We just like each other. The animals are like us too. So I believe that like genuineness is the answer. You'll feel something genuinely... And then you, you go from that to thinking about how am I going to be looked at in front of the people that I value opinions from? Are the people I look up to and think is cool, you know? You start going through all these things, or how is my organization going to feel about that? Is this going to risk my job? You know, it's all these things that strips away us being genuine. I believe that that is the key to it all. Like, once we tap back into that genuineness, I feel like then we'll actually see more of where we're the same. Like I said, you feel more connected. That's beautiful.
0: I say it all the time is conservation is conservation's already impacting you. You just don't know it. You know, like if you look at like pollution rates in uh, black and minority communities, poor communities, you know, they're the ones that have to deal with pollution at a high rate. They live closer to toxic dump sites. Their water's lower
1: quality. When you're in it, you just feel like, it is what it is. You just feel like whatever you're going through, it's just all you know. It's going to take somebody that has that awareness to come and shake things up. So, what we do is we try to make sure, like the music that we make for the conservation community, it really sounds like what the people are listening to in hip hop currently. So, that way, when this mother got to play it for her daughter going to school, you don't feel like, here we go. I'll play this for them. Can't wait till they get out. No, we got the adults and the parents enjoying it at the same time. Like, my brother plays the P-22 song in his, he got like a big, you know, a big Jeep with the big wheels on it and all that. But he plays the P-22 song in his Jeep with his system. And he'd be like, man, is the one, man. It's the one. And I'm like, you wouldn't expected that. And I actually, P-22 was kind of like me blending two worlds together. Music is an amazing thing, man. I'm telling you, like, music in general, but hip-hop is definitely, like, a major, a major genre for connection.
0: Warren, this is awesome. Really, I really appreciate this. Uh, I appreciate you guys. Check out Warren's music at thirdrockhiphop.com. Biodiversity is made possible with support from the Gottlieb Native Garden. It's produced by me, Jake Owens, and April Merle, with contributions from Bennett Ray, Brenda Scott-Royce, and Hannah Beal. Special thanks to Scott Logan. Our executive producers are Susan Gottlieb, Diane Shader-Smith, Tom Jacobson, and Denise Verrett. Original music by Micah Smith.